The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear listeners, you are tuned in to Inspire FM 105.1 and you are listening to the Welcome to Islam show. Uh, my name is Ismail and today inshallah we'll continue with our new Muslim guide part 3 or episode 3. In the previous episode, we started chapter 1, which is the chapter of faith. And we touched on the statement, La ilaha illallah, what it means, the meaning of it, um, and the two main parts of La ilaha illallah. We also discussed on the testimony that Muhammad is Allah's messenger and what it actually means. Following on from that, we touched on the seerah of the Prophet Muhammad or a very brief biography of the Prophet Muhammad From there we moved on to the six pillars of faith. We just barely touched on it and we started discussing what the six pillars are. But today inshallah we will try and discuss each of the pillars of faith slightly more in detail before, if time permits, before moving on to the next chapter. We have in fact covered the first pillar of faith which was belief in Allah and we went into a bit of details like explaining the meaning of belief in Allah, belief in the existence um, of Allah, belief in Allah's Lordship and then the belief that only Allah is worthy of worship, the meaning of worship itself, the reason behind the creation of the jinn and mankind, the pillars of worship, the, uh, the conditions uh, of worship which we explained to be sincerity and following the guidance from Allah's Messenger only. We then moved on to understanding what shirk or associating partners with Allah in in worship uh, means, including some forms of major and minor uh, shirk. We've also touched on the part of, of having belief in Allah's names and attributes. Yeah, so the next part would be to touch on the belief in angels and inshallah today we will start by covering this topic so let's begin in the name of Allah Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim and i would also like to mention that we are following the book the new muslim guide which is written by Fahd Salim Bahamam and this is also available online all the resources you can get in the newmuslimguide.com so continuing on from our previous episode we are in the second pillar of Iman, which is belief in the angels. Uh, the first thing that needs to be mentioned when the issue of belief in angels comes in is that we need to believe that um, the angels belong to the unseen world and they exist, not in our, our world, but in an unseen world. For example, the world of the jinns is unknown as well, just as an example. And they do also worship Allah as he deserves to be worshipped because and they are honored and pious they don't have a will of their own um, in the Quran it is mentioned about the angels that they are honored servants they do not precede him in speech and they act on his command which is in Surah Al-Anbiya verses 26 and 27 as we've mentioned it is one of the six pillars of Iman and also there is another ayah that mentions about the angels which says the messenger believes in that which has been revealed to him from his lord 
and so do the believers. Each one believes in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers. So this is from the very popular uh, last two verses of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, which we commonly known as Amana Rasulu. It, it begins with the, with the words Amana Rasulu. And there is also a very strong hadith where the Prophet ﷺ mentions about the angels. Uh, when the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was asked about faith, he said, It is to believe in Allah, His angels, His books, His messengers, the last day, and to believe in the divine decree, the good and the bad of it. Sahih Muslim. Now these were the evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah. Now what is it about the angels that we do need to uh, believe in? Now, number one is the belief in their existence, that belief in their existence, which I've mentioned, and that they have been created from light with a natural predisposition to worship and obey Allah. Now, uh, secondly, uh, the second point on this is to believe in those angels whose names has been mentioned. For example, Jibreel, or in English, Gabriel. We also generally believe in all those whose names have not been mentioned to us as well. Number three, believe in their attributes that has been mentioned to us. For example, among the attributes is that they belong to the unseen world and Allah has created solely for his, has created the angels solely for his worship. Uh, again, uh, in the Quran, it is stated that they do not disobey Allah in respect of any order he gives them and carry out what they are ordered to do. So this is referring to the angels in Surah At-Tahrim, chapter 66. In Sahih Muslim, also we have the reference to where the angels uh, are mentioned to have been created from light. Again in Surah Fatir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, All praise is due to Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth, who made the angels messengers with two, three, or four pairs of wings. He increases in creation what he pleases. Surely Allah has the power over all things. So this ayah gives us the indication that the angels, one of the attributes of angels is that they have got wings. Moving on, number four is to have the belief in the duties which has been mentioned to us that the angels carry out with Allah's command. For instance, the angel charged with the task of conveying Allah's revelation to uh, his messengers was angel uh, Jibril. And then there is an angel of death, Malakul Maut. There is another angel who is charged with the task of recording all the good deeds and the bad deeds people do. After this, the author mentions the benefits of having the belief in the angels. Number one, he mentions being aware of Allah's absolute strength and power. Number two is observing righteousness. The firm belief that some angels record all our deeds prompt us to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to try not to disobey him, whether we are alone or with others. In point number three, he mentions that observing patience while carrying out our duties towards Allah. And the fourth benefit of believing in the angels the author mentions is showing gratitude to Allah so this is due to the fact that Almighty Allah has created some angels whose task is to guard people against harm it prompts us to thank him for his divine care 
uh, and lastly there is a hadith the prophet وسلم, informs us in a hadith that there is no space in the seven heavens a foot length or a hand span or a palm's width which does not have an angel standing bowing or prostrating on the issue of angels i've got to mention that you know it cannot be you know we cannot know about the existence of angels by empirical evidence or uh, scientific reasoning uh, but then again in many other faiths as well the concept of angels are there and it is an actual pillar of the faith itself in the tradition of Islam to believe in the existence of angels as we came to know so moving on the next pillar that we will discuss is belief in the divine books which means believing the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down some divine books to some of his messengers so this is not just the Quran to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu but believing in all the divine revelations that has come to different prophets over time and we also need to believe that they contain the speech of Allah uh, which must be thought of in a manner that suits his majesty and that these books also contain the truth light and guidance for people in both this world and the and in the hereafter so this is as i've mentioned is one of the six pillars of faith and as the quran states "O you who believe believe in allah and his messenger and the book which he has revealed to his messenger and the books which he revealed before this is in surah nisa and in this verse we we find that allah almighty commands the believers to believe in him and his messengers and the book which he revealed to his messengers uh, messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh, which is the quran he also commands them to believe in all the books he revealed before the quran and defining faith or iman the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam once said it is to believe in allah his angels his books his messengers and the last day and to believe in the divine decree both good and bad this was recorded in sahih muslim and after this the author mentions about what does belief in the divine books actually include and he mentions four points um, one is to believe that they were truly revealed by allah number two that they actually contain the speech of allah number three is to believe in the books that were mentioned by name not all the divine revelations were named but the following were which are obviously number one the quran which has been revealed to our prophet muhammad وسلم, the torah or the Torah, which has been revealed to moses or musa وسلم, and the gospel or al-injil which has been revealed to Isa salam or Jesus peace be upon him that was number three and the fourth point the author mentions is to believe in all the authentic stories that are mentioned in those revelations it is also worth mentioning at this point that the Quran has been preserved in its original form as it was revealed I mean the order of revelation may have been reorganized but then again uh, the text the word of Allah has been preserved as it was uh, revealed but then again the some of the older scriptures 
were corrupted over time and this has been mentioned uh, in the Quran as well so what we do believe in is the revolution that was in its original form and not necessarily in the form that it is found today in the next section the author describes some unique and distinctive characteristics of the Quran which um, which is different from the other revelations but before that he mentions how the Quran is a guide for us so we are meant to respect it yes read it with understanding and ponder on its verses so not just respect it have it you know wrapped up and put it up, up on top of a shelf and never uh, come back to it or neither just focus too much on reciting but rather to actually understand and strive really hard to implement that in our lives and of the unique characteristics the author mentions as number one that the glorious Quran provides a summary of the divine rulings and it came to support and confirm the command to worship Allah alone which was what was mentioned in the previous divine books as well in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and we have revealed to you the book with the truth confirming the books before it and with final authority over them which is in Surah Al-Ma'idah verse 48 and the second distinctive characteristics of the Quran are mentioned is that the Quran was revealed as opposed to the previous scriptures the Quran was revealed not for just a particular people or for a specific time the Quran was revealed for the whole of humanity regardless of their language or race for everyone and for all times until the day of judgment and the Quran says this Quran has been revealed to me so that I may warn you by it and anyone else it reaches the third unique characteristic is mentioned as the fact that the Quran has remained intact because Allah uh, the Almighty has taken it upon himself to protect it as the Quran says we have sent down the reminder and we will surely guard it from corruption this is in Surah Al-Hijr chapter 15 verse number 9 following on from that the author mentions about our duty towards the Quran and he mentions that we must act on its dictates obey its command and make them our way of life uh, and then there's a mention of a hadith where Aisha radiallahu ta'ala one of the Prophet's wives was asked about the character of the Prophet and she replied and she replied his character was the Quran in other words the Prophet was the practical embodiment of the Quranic injunctions in all his actions and worldly life indeed he followed the guidance of the Quran in its entirety and provided an excellent example for us to follow as the Quran states you have an excellent model in the Messenger of Allah for all who hope for Allah and the last day and remember Allah much Surah Al-Azhar after this the author moves on to re-emphasize our stance regarding the contents of the previously revealed books as we have briefly mentioned that the Muslims do believe that the Torah which was revealed to Musa salam, and the Gospel which was revealed to Isa were the truth from Allah he also 
believes that uh, they comprise rulings, guidance, and lessons and news which had guidance and light for people in their worldly life and the life to come. However, Almighty Allah informs us in the Holy Quran that the people of the book, that is the Jews and the Christians, had distorted their divine books through alteration, omission, or addition to the original text, and thus not as authentic as Allah first revealed them. So the Torah that is available today is not the same Torah revealed to Musa because the Jews corrupted the original text by altering it and changing numerous rulings in it. As the Quran states, some of the Jews distort the true meaning of words. This is in Surah An-Nisa verse 46. So similarly for the gospel as well, which is available to us today, is not the same gospel revealed to Isa for the Christians distorted it and altered a large number of its ruling. And again, there is a verse of the Quran that says uh, concerning this, Among them is a group who distort the book with their tongues so that you think it is from the book when it is not from the book. They say it is from Allah, but it is not from Allah. They tell a lie against Allah and they know it. Surah Al-Imran, verse number 78. So therefore, from these scriptures, the author concludes that we believe those statements and reports which are shown by the Quran or the sound Sunnah to be true or which are consistent with the Quran and the Sunnah and we disbelieve those ones which are contradictory to the Quran and Sunnah. As for the rest of the statements and report, we must neither believe nor disbelieve them because they are not proven in the Quran or Sunnah to be either true or false. So despite all of this, a Muslim ought to respect these books and must not demean or desecrate them for they may still contain Allah's speech which has not been distorted. So uh, after this, the um, author mentions three benefits of uh, belief in the divine books which are as follows. One, awareness of Allah's great care and immense mercy for his slaves for sending for every people a divine book to guide them uh, and help them achieve happiness in this life and enjoy eternal bliss in the hereafter. Number two is the awareness of Allah's absolute wisdom contained in his laws and for all the legislations he has provided and what perfectly suits their general circumstances and personalities. And then uh, finally he mentions that um, the third benefit is showing gratefulness to Allah for sending down such books which contains light and guidance for us in this life and the hereafter. Indeed, this is a great blessing for which we, we should offer thanks to Allah. And this brings us to an end of the discussion on the belief in the divine books. So we now move on to the next pillar in the list which is the belief in the messengers. And in this section, the author describes that the people need a divine message uh, so that they are shown um, Allah's laws and they are guided to the right path. And, and indeed, the divine message is the spirit, light and the very life of the world, without which the world would certainly be lifeless and man would be plunged into the darkness of ignorance and guidance and for this reason uh, Allah Almighty calls his message a spirit for there is no life without a spirit 
in Surah Ashura, the Quran says, We have thus revealed a spirit to you by our command. You knew neither the scripture nor the faith, but we made it a light, guiding with it whomever we will of our servants. You are indeed guiding to the straight path. Now, even though the intellect can generally distinguish between the right and wrong, it cannot possibly comprehend the details of such a distinction, nor carry out acts of worship in the right manner without the dictates of revelation and the divine message. And therefore, the author continues that success and happiness can only be attained by following the guidance of Allah's messengers. Similarly, no accurate line of demarcation can be drawn between right and wrong without following in their footsteps. Thus, whoever rejects the divine message will definitely lead a miserable and wretched life depending on the extent of their rejection of it. So it basically seems to stress the point that um, the message of Allah and the laws of Allah need to be uh, transmitted to the the humankind in this world by the messengers and that's uh, of course one of the responsibilities that the messengers uh, or the roles that the messengers play and it is in fact one of the six pillars of iman to believe in the messengers messenger of allah or the messengers of allah uh, in the quran allah states the messenger believes in that which has been revealed to him from his Lord, and so do the believers. Each one believes in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers. This is again referring back to the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah that we mentioned before. And, and it makes it absolutely clear that we must believe in all of Allah's messengers without making any distinction between any of them. Uh, we must not therefore believe in some of them and reject some of the others. And this is something we've seen in other faiths like the uh, Jewish faith and the Christian faith that they have rejected some messengers. But however, we are expected, we are required as part of our faith to believe in all of the messengers. Now, to define Iman, the Prophet ﷺ also said, that it is to believe in Allah, his angels, his books, his messengers, and the last day, and to believe in a divine decree, both good and bad. And this was recorded in Sahih Muslim. And this hadith is another evidence that believing in the messengers is part of Iman. Following on, the author explains what it means to have belief in the messengers and he lists a number of things like uh, you know having the firm belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a messenger to every nation and community calling its member to worship Allah alone without any partners and that all of Allah's messengers were truthful virtuous trustworthy and rightly guided servants who strove hard to guide their people to the right path and conveyed Allah's message to them in full without concealing, omitting or adding anything to it. And uh, he finishes this section by uh, quoting the ayah of the Quran that says, Therefore, the messenger's obligation is no more than 
to convey the message clearly. After that, he mentions four points as to what is included in the belief in messengers. First one is to believe that their message was truly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Allah had sent them with the same message. That is, to worship Allah alone and to avoid false gods. As the Quran states, we sent a messenger among every people saying, worship Allah and keep clear of all the false gods. Number two, uh, he mentions, is to believe in all the prophets and messengers. So that is... Uh, the prophets that are mentioned by name, for example, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, peace be upon them all, and also those who Allah has not mentioned in the Quran. So we believe in all of them in general. And those who disbelieve the message of one single prophet is considered to have disbelieved in all of them. Number three, to believe the authentic reports and accounts of the prophets and their miracles that are mentioned in the Quran and in the prophet's sunnah or traditions such as the for example the story of Allah's parting the Red Sea for Musa and lastly number four to act according to the dictates of the law revealed to our prophet Muhammad who was the seal of the prophets which means he was the uh, last prophet and the best of all of them that brings us to break time so we will continue the course the new muslim guide inshallah on the second half of the show please do join us and stay tuned assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh you're listening to an inspire fm podcast making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on inspire fm Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear listeners, welcome back. You are tuned in to Inspire FM 105.1 and you are listening to the Welcome to Islam show. Today we are continuing with the New Muslim Guide, which we started a few weeks ago, and we have touched on the topic of faith. And we are currently covering the six pillars of uh, Iman. And just before going on to the break, we were on the part of uh, believing in the messengers. Please note that this is a recorded show, so we won't be able to take questions or comments uh, live as we usually do in our live shows. But if you have any comments or suggestions, please do send us. Uh, You can just drop a line in the comment section of our Facebook page or contact us through the website. You can call us on 01582481810 or send us a message on WhatsApp on 0777948822. If you have any questions, anything regarding this course or the show, please do let us know. We will try and get back to you as soon as we can, inshallah. So without further ado, let's get back to our course where we were, um, you know, continuing with the chapter of faith and we were on the topic of having belief in the messengers so we are following the book the new muslim guide by Fat salim bahammam and uh, the author after that uh, 
mentions some of the characteristics of the messengers. For example, he mentions, you know, that the messengers are human, and only difference between us and them is that Allah has, has chosen them to receive His revelation and convey His divine message. As the Quran says, we have only ever sent before you men to whom we revealed the message. And of course, there are reasons and wisdom behind why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen some people to be His messengers. However, that's beyond the scope of this course. So we will carry on with the characteristics of the messengers that are mentioned in this book. The first thing that is mentioned is that, that the messengers don't have any divine attributes. They belong only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that they are mere human beings who attained perfect physical appearance and enjoyed impeccable moral traits. They, they are also the most honorable of people in lineage and enjoyed sound judgment and clear persuasive speech, which entitled them to assume the responsibility of conveying the divine message and bear the burden of prophethood. So the messengers were chosen from among people so that they can set a good example for them and so that people can follow them in their footsteps. So it is quite clear from the Quran as well where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states that Allah knows best upon whom to bestow his message. So this yeah makes it clear that you know prophethood cannot be attained as a result of spiritual purity, intelligence or mental logic. But for the task of prophethood it is determined by the divine will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next point mentioned is the fact that the prophets are infallible, especially in terms of when conveying Allah's message to people and executing what Allah has revealed to them. Following that is truthfulness, that the messengers are truthful in their words and deeds. And this is also mentioned in the Quran in Surah Yasin, as this is what the most merciful promised and the messengers told the truth. And the last but not least, the, the characteristics of messengers mentioned in this book is patience and perseverance, which is one of the oh, one of the traits that is needed to call people to Allah's religion and bringing good news and giving warning, etc. Right then, moving on to the next section where the author describes about the signs and miracles of the messengers and as examples he gives he mentions about Moses' rod uh, turning into a, sna a snake and Isa informing his people of what they ate and stored in their houses and for our Prophet Muhammad the splitting of the moon has been mentioned as an example and then the author moves on to a Muslim's beliefs regarding Isa or Jesus, peace be upon him. So, as point number one, he mentions that Isa was one of the greatest of Allah's Messenger and one of those who are held in very high esteem. Then he mentions that Isa, according to our belief, was a mere human being with no divine attributes whatsoever and that he was the son of Mary or Maryam salam, who gave birth to him miraculously uh, conceiving without a human father. Next it is mentioned that there was no prophet between him that is 
Jesus peace be upon him and Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and um, and then again uh, he mentions we believe in the miracles he performed by Allah's permission and we have given some examples before as well and after this is a person will not be considered a true believer unless he believes that Jesus peace be upon him was Allah's servant and messenger and the last point uh, that the author mentions is quite important as well uh, regarding the faith of Islam that he was neither killed nor crucified instead he was raised up by Allah to heaven in fact Allah gave someone else uh, the appearance of Isa alayhi salam causing everyone to believe that it was in fact Jesus who was crucified uh, but the Quran says that and they're saying we killed the Messiah Jesus son of Mary the messenger of Allah they did not kill him and they did not crucify him but it was made seem it was made to seem so to them those who argue about him are in doubt about it they have no real knowledge of it just conjecture they did not really kill him Allah raised him up to himself Allah is almighty all wise there is no there is not one of the people of the book who will not believe in him before he dies and on the day of rising he will be a witness against them this is mentioned in surah an nisa verses 157 to 159 and then the author moves on to our prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we believe in uh, muhammad sallallahu wasallam being allah's servant and messenger and he's the best of all mankind without exception we also believe what he said obey his commands and avoid the acts he prohibited and warned us against and we must show more love for the prophet than our own parents children and indeed all of humankind and this can be manifested in different ways by one one would be by following his sunnah and giving priority to what he commanded us to do and avoiding any disobedience to his orders and we must accept everything he has brought to us from almighty allah and adhere to his sunnah holding his guidance in high esteem as the quran states in surah nisa by your lord they will not be true believers until they seek your arbitration in their disputes and find within themselves no doubt about what you decide and accept it wholeheartedly the author then describes some of the characteristics of the message that prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam brought to us that it was the final divine message as it's stated in the quran in surah al-ahzab that muhammad is not the father of any of your men but the messenger of allah and the final seal of the prophets so which gives us the indication that any one claiming to be a prophet after him is a false messenger or a false prophet then it abrogated all previous messages and laws so all the laws that came before like the laws that musa alayhi wasallam brought in uh, they are all abrogated and this is as you may say like the final version it is addressed to both the jinn and mankind and there are mentions in the quran as well about about this so this brings us to the end of uh, belief in the messengers segment but at the end as well the author mentions about the benefit of uh, having a belief in the messenger like showing gratefulness to Allah for these great blessings it increases us in our awareness of Allah's care for his slaves because he sent messengers to guide 
uh, us to the right path and showing love for Allah's messengers, holding them in high esteem and adequately praising them for delivering Allah's message to their people and giving them good counsel. The Quran says, those who follow my guidance will not go astray and will not be wretched, but whoever turns away from my reminder, he will lead a miserable life. So in a way, it is through these prophets that we are taken out of this misery. So this brings us to the next section, which is the belief in the last day. And we know that belief in the last day is one of the articles of faith and faith will not be valid unless one believes in the last day as the Quran states. Truly pious are those who believe in Allah and the last day. Surah Al-Baqarah verse 177. So what's the meaning of having believed in the last day? It is it is to have that firm belief that Almighty Allah will raise people to life from their graves. He will then judge them according to their deeds. Those who deserve to go to paradise will be sent to it, while those who deserve to go to hellfire will be sent to it. And why does the Quran emphasize belief in the last day? The Quran draws attention to it in, in, on numerous occasions, employing different modes of expression in Arabic and linking belief in the last day with belief in Allah. The reason for this is that believing the last day is a necessary outcome of the belief in Almighty Allah and His absolute justice. This is to illustrate that Allah does not approve of injustice. He will not let the wronggoers go unpunished, nor will He let the wrong, wronged down by not having them obtaining redress from the wrong done to them. In, in, in simple words, it's, it's for justice and justice will prevail. So the virtuous will get their rewards and the sinful will get their punishment. So this means there has to be another life other than the present life where the righteous will be rewarded and the evildoers will be punished. Everyone getting the reward or punishment that they deserve. And what does the belief in the last day include? So it includes believing the ultimate resurrection and gathering which has been, again, mentioned in the Qur'an several times. For example, the Qur'an says, Then subsequently you will certainly die, then on the day of rising you will be raised again, which is in Surah Al-Mu'minun. And not only the Qur'an, all the divine books have confirmed this fact, and we have seen in uh, many other religions this concept of heaven and hell and the day of judgment is, is there. So all the divine books has confirmed this fact, stating that Part of Allah's wisdom behind creating people is to set an ultimate day on which he will judge them for obeying or rejecting his commands, which he sent down to them through his messengers. As the Quran states, Did you suppose that we created you for amusement and that you would not return to us? Again in Surah Al-Mu'minun. Now some textual evidence from the Quran regarding resurrection. It was Allah SWT who created mankind the first time and he is able to bring them back to life. As the Quran states, and it is he who originates creation, then brings it back again, and it is easier for him in Surah Ar-Rum. The next point made is the belief in the judgment and the balance of deeds. Uh, now, we know that people's deeds will be weighed in a, in a balance. The good deeds will be, paced, uh, will be placed on a weighing pan, uh, while the bad deeds will be placed on the other pan. I mean, at the other end of the balance. So those whose good deeds outweigh their bad deeds will be admitted to paradise, while those whose bad deeds outweigh their good deeds will be sent to hellfire. 
and Allah does not wrong anyone. Now, we don't know exactly how this balance will look like, if it's a physical balance or whatever, we don't go into the details, neither is it in the scope of this show. But we can mention, uh, you know, in Surah Al-Anbiya, that Allah, Allah mentions that we will set up the balance, we will set up the just balance on the day of rising and no one will be wronged in any way. Even if it is no more than the weight of a grain of mustard seed, we will produce it. We are sufficient as a reckoner. The author does mention two other points which are included in the belief in the last day. One is the belief in paradise and hellfire, a bit of which we have discussed a little bit. And he does mention... Um, you know the verses where uh, the the mention of paradise and hellfire are made and the next point is punishment and bliss in the grave yes so not just the punishment in the hellfire there is also a mention of punishment in the grave or bliss this is mentioned in a number of hadith or narrations from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam after that the author touches on the last belief which is the belief in the divine decree now this is something that usually confuses people as well like if there is a divine decree then how do people do people even have the free will because everything is uh, written down so let's uh, try and understand what this divine decree means so what is this um, for example in to start with, let's uh, quote the hadith where it is mentioned about divine decree. Um, in Sahih Muslim, it is mentioned that belief in the divine decree is one of the pillars of faith. When the Prophet wasallam was once asked about faith, he said it is to believe in Allah, his angels, his books, his messengers, the last day, and to believe in the divine decree, the good and the bad of it. So what does it mean? This means firm belief that everything good and bad takes place by the will of Allah, who does who does whatever he desires nothing can happen without his will and not even the like of a weight of an atom in the heavens or the earth escapes his knowledge however he commands his servants to do certain acts and forbids them to do certain others giving them the free will to do whatever they please without being forced to do anything against their will he created them as well as their ability to do things he guides whomsoever he wills in his mercy and misguides whomever he wills in his absolute wisdom he will not be questioned about what he does but people will be questioned for what they do and what does this uh, you know belief include this includes to believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything and that he knew everything about his creation even before he brought them into being his foreknowledge includes this, their uh, provisions, their appointed lifetime, their words and deeds, all their doings, whatever they conceal and reveal, those uh, who will be admitted into paradise as well as those who will be sent into hellfire. The Quran says, He is Allah other than whom there is no other God, the knower of the invisible and the visible. So at this point, I would just like to stop for a minute and explain that still it sounds like there is a bit of a contradiction as okay you're saying that there is free will but at the same time Allah knows everything that's going to happen and like who will be admitted to paradise or hellfire has already been determined uh, and recorded uh, as well so how is this reconciled so as an example I like the 
analogy sometimes some of the scholars use to explain this is that say for example there is a teacher in a class and uh, he or she you know makes a prediction not just a prediction just says that you know these when asked he or she says that okay this student a they will get a grade of uh, let's say a, a grade and then this student xyz will will probably not get anything above c grade now because the teacher knows you know how well a student has been performing for a period of time so they are able to you know predict uh, predict it and and when we like you know join this analogy for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who has got absolute knowledge of everything so his foreknowledge is there because he knows everything so it is um i mean it is only you know without a doubt he knows that what people would choose what an individual would choose given certain circumstances uh, and that's why there is no you know contradiction in him having everything recorded in place but this does not take away uh, the point that you know people can choose um, what they are doing at a given point in time i mean the teacher will not know everything so their yeah, knowledge about the student like how much time the student actually spends before an exam in their homes is not available to the teacher so the teacher has a limited amount of information whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got the absolute and all the information so you know it only makes sense that he can not only I mean this is not only predict uh, predicting but he knows everything that will happen and obviously this is a divine attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself the all uh, the all-knowing so that kind of puts things into perspective so right what else does this uh, belief in the divine decree include then so it is the belief that Allah's will is absolute and cannot be frustrated or challenged by any power whatsoever indeed everything takes place according to his will Whatever he wills certainly takes place, and whatever he does not will cannot possibly takes place. Take place. It is also to to believe that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is the originator of everything, that He is the only Creator besides whom there is no other Creator, that everything in existence was created by Him, and that He has power over all things. And uh, it is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al Furqan that he created everything and determined it most exactly now coming back to the point of uh, free choice and and will the quran says that is the day of truth so whoever wills should take the path that leads to his lord in in surah an-naba this is mentioned so so we know that from this that the belief in the divine decree in no way implies that man does not have free will or that he cannot choose his own actions uh, there are so there are a lot of islamic textual evidence uh, to to base this and there are uh, you know concrete evidence in the real world as well so regarding man's power and will to do as he chooses the quran states allah will not force any soul beyond its capacity it shall have the good which it has gained and it shall suffer the evil evil which it has gained so based on concrete evidence in the real world every person knows that he has the free will and ability to do whatever he wants 
With these, he can choose between things. He can do some things willingly, such as walking and other actions that uh, you know um, someone takes. But he cannot possibly do some other things willingly, such as shivering or some of the involuntary acts that, that happens. And some of the other things we see in life as well that we have no control over. So it remains to be said that man's will and ability can only take place following those of Almighty Allah. So can it really be used, uh, so divine decree, can this actually be used as an excuse to commit sins or not uh, obeying the orders given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Absolutely not. This is absurd. Therefore, we can, we can conclude that any acts of disobedience comes only of our own choosing and thus we will have to bear the consequences of this choice in this life and the next. And lastly, on this section, the author mentions the benefits of, of uh, having this belief in the divine decree. So he mentions that it is one of the best incentives to act in a matter that is ple pleasing to Almighty Allah in this life. And that belief in divine decree prompts man to realize his own self-worth. And so he tries to avoid self-conceit and arrogance. For he knows that he does not know what has been decreed for him. This makes him admit his weakness and need for Allah subhanahu wa and thus urges him to turn to him constantly. He also mentions that, you know, the belief in divine decree helps overcome the vice of envy because a true believer does not envy people for the bounties Allah has bestowed upon them. For he knows that it is Allah subhanahu wa who has granted them such bounties in the first place and that envying others is, you know, tantamount to objecting to Allah's decree. It also fills, uh, fills the believer's heart with courage and strengthens his determination in the face of hardships, for he knows that his worldly provision and appointed time to depart the world has already been decreed by Allah subhanahu wa and nothing will happen to him except that Allah has decreed it for him. It instills in him the numerous realities of faith. Consequently, he constantly seeks Allah's assistance, places his trust in Allah, and after doing what is required of him and always shows his need for Allah from whom he derives support to stay on the straight path. Uh, and the last point is that it provides him with reassurance and fills his heart with peace and contentment. Um, so that brings us to the end of today's show. Alhamdulillah, we have covered the chapter of faith. And inshallah, in, in, in the next episode, we will move on to the purification so which is essential before we move on to the topic of prayer so please uh, do join us inshallah for the following weeks we will continue with our live shows with uh, you know luton revert group joining us the last sunday of every month plus we will have our regular uh, webinars uh, webinar recordings that we play uh, which are by islam voice from from renowned revert sheikhs uh, alhamdulillah so we will stop for today again please do join us uh, next week and as always if you have any questions comments suggestions please do let us know we are here to support new muslims in any way we can inshallah we will reach out uh, to scholars if required and uh, yeah please do let us know do take care of yourself this is your brother in deen ismail signing off from the welcome to Islam show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.